Welcome to your happy place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world. However you may be listening to us, we are grateful that you make us a part of your day, your week, your month, or maybe even your year. All right, anyway, enough messing around. We've got all kinds of things to get to in this episode of Live Happy Now, including thanking our partners, Live Happy Magazine. The latest issue is available on newsstands everywhere. Also, you can get the digital edition on the Apple Store. You can also get it in the Google Play Store. And uh, it's it's fantastic content, and it's even supplemented on livehappy.com. We also want to thank our other sponsor, Life Reimagined, and their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of resources sources for you to uh, try out and processes for you to think about and uh, they you know they say as you awaken to the power of happiness so do your dreams so what's next well go to lifereimagined.org well in this episode we welcome valerie burton to the program she's a best-selling author and speaker who helps people get unstuck and be unstoppable in every area of their lives she's a certified personal and executive coach and she's had several hundreds of clients in over 40 states and nine countries and is the founder of the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute. And in this episode of Live Happy Get Now, co-founder, COO, and editorial director Deborah Heiss talks with Valerie about identifying your personal happiness triggers, how to bounce back from stress and adversity, and how to savor each moment every day. Valerie, thank you for agreeing to be on Live Happy Now today. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. For those of you who are listening, this is a little bit of a different take on Live Happy Now. We're going to be talking specifically about happy women. So for all of you men in the audience, you can certainly listen. But women, this is really, really for you. Valerie, you have this fantastic book called Happy Women Live Better. Can you give us a little bit of the background about why you decided to write this book? Absolutely. I'm I'm a, an avid student of happiness. <laughs> um, I've studied it in graduate school, obviously, with the CAP Institute. A lot of it is around happiness and positive psychology. Um, but I thought in particular that it was interesting. Um, one of the studies that came out a few years ago from the Wharton School that was showing that women's happiness had started to decline, particularly in the early 40s, while men continued to uh, become happier over time. And the time frame that that correlates with is, you know, the early 70s, which would correlate with the women's rights movement, which be a time we see as women, we've had more education, more income, more opportunities, fewer children to take care of, all these things that you would think um, would cause increases in happiness. And so, Particularly, I wanted to talk to women about the very simple things that you can do uh, to make you happier. And so the book talks about these 13 research-based happiness triggers. They're relevant to men as well, um, but I thought it was particularly interesting for women because of the fact that uh, women are finding a lot more stressors uh, than they had in years past. I want to talk about what the triggers are and uh, in a little bit, but why do you think um, or what does the research show about why women are less happy? What, is, what does that tell us about why we're less happy today? And, yeah. and, and what does it say about the future? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. So I began just interviewing women of different generations to get their opinion, just to kind of start to, to gather information and, um, and, and explore what the reasons might be. I, I found it very interesting that women who were in the baby boomer generation or older – 
who, of course, could remember the early 70s, were very quick to say that they felt that women have so many more expectations today um, that for many of them, when they finished high school, they wanted to get married. They wanted to um, have a family. They felt that it was optional whether they wanted to have a stellar career or not, and they did not feel guilty if they chose not to have a career. They didn't feel guilty if they chose to have a career. Um, And so kind of looking from that generation to younger generations, um, they pointed out some things that even myself, being a, a Generation Xer, did not see and that millennials that I talked to really didn't see. What are some of the things that uh, came out of millennials and Gen Xers? Could they describe it? A lot of angst. I mean, even as I speak, and I speak to a variety of audiences, a lot of corporations, but also a lot of um, major universities and so forth. And one of the common themes that comes up is that young women seeing their, especially seeing their their mothers, <laughs> um, stress and struggle with balancing work and home. Um, that young women are concerned about it. How am I going to do all of this? And if I want to um, have a family, if I want to have a very robust personal life, how am I going to to do that and also climb the corporate ladder or run a business or whatever it is that they're aiming to do? Um, You know, I really think that Generation X, we were kind of the guinea pigs. (laughs) You know, we were told we could go out there, we could have it all. um, And we really were the first generation that had the opportunity to really have it all. And, you know, for many, um, there have been some great successes, but there also have been consequences. I mean, I find it very interesting. Um, in 2011, there was a study that showed that for women who were 33 year older, and 33 at that time was the youngest Gen Xer, um, if they had a college education, nearly half, it was something like 43%, had not had children by age 33. And I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find any generation in the history of the world where 43% of the women um, by age 33 had not had a child. Now, some may have chosen that that's what they wanted. They didn't want to have children. But many found themselves doing everything they thought was right for their careers and so forth, and they thought the personal stuff would just kind of fall into place, and it didn't. So I think many women find themselves playing catch-up in their personal lives because they, um, you know, they went for it and and had great success at it, and some other areas didn't all come together. Um, and so I think these are issues that don't we don't talk about them a lot um, because men really face different challenges than women. When women are more successful, when women make more money, they tend to be less likely to marry, less likely to have children. And that's not to say that everyone's goal is doing that, but for many women it is. And they didn't realize that there were some consequences that their male counterparts don't deal with as often uh, as, as their female counterparts. You know, that's interesting. I, I agree we don't talk about it because I think there's a little bit of a uh, pressure, a community pressure for for people to say, if, if you say, hey, can you really have it all? Can you really have a, a good family and can you really yeah. have a good career? Even asking the question gets people's hackles up, you know, like, <laughs> what do you mean? Of course I can have it all. Why shouldn't I have it all? And you know what? I believe that you can. You might not have it all at the same time. Uh, you may not have it all in the traditional sense. Um, You know, you may have to find some ways to work that are not, you know, eight to five. You might find some ways to work where you work in seasons a little bit uh, more heavily than in other seasons. And so being able to plan and being able to um, 
work well with your partner, I think is really important and have a clear vision. And I think very often we have a clear vision professionally, but it's just as important to have a very clear vision of what you want personally. You know, I think I think that's that's really good advice because uh, you don't want to be bounced around by what's happening to you. You do want to choose your own direction and it's hard to have a direction without a without a vision. So maybe you don't want Absolutely. Cho- maybe you don't want children, but maybe you do. And if you do and you're female and you're 38, it's really time to think about how that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had that experience myself. And, and you know, everything, when I, when I wrote Happy Women Live Better, you know, in part for me, looking at happiness and knowing what happiness does for us overall, for our health, for our longevity, people who are happier live longer. They're less likely to get sick. Um, there's a, they're more likely to get raises. I mean, there's just a host of things that come with being happier. And so when we look at the fact over, you know, over time that um, being chronically unhappy can cut your life expectancy, can, can cause all kinds of other issues. I think it's an issue that is so important for us to focus on and so important to be very intentional about finding that happiness. But the truth is many of us have struggled um, with depression, with other issues. And I found for myself, looking back, I don't think I realized what it was as a teenager the first time I experienced depression. Um, when I got to my 20s and it came back, I realized what it was. Um, and in my 30s, when I went through a divorce, I felt I conquered it, but I had to be so intentional about using these happiness triggers while I was going through that, making sure that I relied on my relationships, that I was exercising plenty, that I took time for myself spiritually and to pray and to meditate, you know, that I was engaging fully in things that I loved. And so that's part of where my passion comes from, because I realized that if we're intentional about the choices that we make every day, we really can impact our own personal well-being and our happiness. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the 13 ways to trigger your happiness every day, which is the subtitle of the book. So let's talk a little bit about what you mean by happiness trigger. Give us some specific examples. Well, a happiness trigger is something that spurs us to happiness. And it's something that when we tap into it, we begin to feel a change almost immediately. So there were 13 in particular that um, I identified for the book. um, And I'll share with you some of my favorite ones. There's some of the simple ones and some of the ones that that are a little bit uh, more deep. But one of my favorites is anticipation. And along with that, I, I ask you to kind of repeat the mantra every day. I make sure I have something to look forward to. And it's so simple, but it's one of those things you have to be very intentional about. Um, And we can do it in the simplest of ways. For example, you can get so used to the things you have to do, your, your everyday routine, that you take them for granted. So you might talk about, you know, oh, I have to go to work today, or I've got to go pick up my kids, or I have to, whatever it is. And if you step back and you say, you know, there was a point in my life where I wanted to have this particular job. So I don't have to go to work. I get to go to work. Um, You know, there was a point in my life when I wanted to have kids. For me in particular, you know, I, I got to 40 before I had any children. And so, you know, although life can be very hectic at times, 
I have to stop and be very intentional about noting that, you know what, this is something I get to do. And at one point it was a dream and it finally was realized. Sometimes it might feel stressful, <laughs> but it's actually something I'm very grateful for. So anticipation. And then we do it in those other ways. Like, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Coming up with something that's really fun, especially when you're incorporating other people or, you know, being able to savor your upcoming vacation or having something tonight specifically that you're looking forward to and being able to kind of uh, notice that in the moment, especially, you know, mid-afternoon when you're feeling a little bit of a lull and you're remembering what you're doing this evening, um, it gives you a boost of happiness. So that's one of my favorites, um, anticipation. I really like that. Um, I, I actually... Uh love I, I, our family loves to travel uh, take vacations I, I mean who doesn't but we really enjoy it but what i really enjoy is planning the vacation i enjoy looking yes. looking out and saying oh we get to do this <laughs> we get to do that which is you know I, it's not being on the actual vacation is great but for me i get months of enjoyment just by imagining it so i yeah i yes. absolutely agree that anticipation is is one of the for me personally, one of the things that builds a lot of happiness and joy into my life. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I say. You can get as much uh, joy out of out of anticipating your vacation as you do out of the vacation itself. So even planning it together as a family, thinking about it, you know, going on the Internet, looking at the pictures, counting down the time to the vacation, all of that boosts your level of happiness around the vacation. Anticipation, that's one. What's, what's another one of your favorites? Oh, gosh. I love... Gratitude. Now, I know that's a really simple one, but it's so easy for us sometimes to take things for granted. But being very intentional about your gratitude. Um, the three blessings exercise is one of my favorites, just being able to write down three things that you're grateful for before you go to bed and then reflecting on why you're grateful for them. Being able to reflect on why you're grateful for something actually deepens your level of gratitude. But gratitude also counteracts something um, called the hedonic treadmill, which you might be familiar with, which is our tendency to adapt to continually improving circumstances. So, you know, you, you got the nice car, you got a boost of happiness for a month or two, and maybe the payment came due, or maybe it spilled something in the car and it's not doesn't have that new car smell anymore. Um, and so you get used to it. And so oftentimes, whether it's in relationships or with a new home or a new job, we can just get used to something that we used to be very excited about. And gratitude can counteract that. It can cause us to notice in the moment how much we have to be grateful for. Um, and we can, we can have gratitude for what we've been given, but we can also be very intentional about expressing gratitude for what we're able to give. So when you're able to help someone or when you're able to serve, being able to step back and say, wow, I'm so grateful that I'm in the position to be able to help, um, you know, to be able to have the time to be able to dedicate to making a difference for someone else. So there's, there are different ways that we can show our gratitude, but being very intentional about it is a definite happiness trigger. One of the things that you talk about in your book, which is uh, related to happiness, and I, I personally believe this is at the core of most people's happiness, is having a genuine connection with other people. With our crazy schedules we have these days and modern technology where people think conversing on text messages is the same as, you know, having a real conversation. What, what advice do you have about forming genuine connections or how to deepen the connections we have with the people in our lives in light of the world that we live in? Well, the decision we make with that happiness trigger is that I speak to my family and friends more than I type and text them. <laughs> and I think that so often we 
with new technology, which is wonderful, we cram more in. And then oftentimes we we value less the in-person uh, connection. And so being able, even at work, you could send the email, but, you know, sometimes during the day, perhaps just getting up and going and actually having a sit-down conversation or, or just asking the question in person for that um, just for that personal touch or that personal connection. Um, But the way I define connection in the book is that what it really is is a moment of love, that when we truly connect with someone, um, it is our opportunity to express love even in small ways. I mean, you might connect with the cashier at the store, but it was simply a matter of you being patient or you being kind or you complimenting them on how they were handling the pressure of having a ton of customers when everybody else was very impatient. Um, And so being very intentional about that, I think, is so, so important, but it requires us to do something that's outside of today's norm, which is kind of take a deep breath, and slow down and to value people and to value connecting with people authentically. Yeah, I have I have difficulty um, looking forward into the future. You know, my son's my my, my oldest child's eight, and he's just so excited he can now um, spell and type well enough to text. But he still <laughs> he still would never be able to dial the phone. I mean, it's 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 like you can actually talk to people on that phone that's in your hand. You don't actually text. So I I get a little worried when I look into the future and I see how uh, how much texting and typing has become part of our communication pattern patterns that we are losing something. Yeah, I think there are things that are lost. But I think as parents, we can we can model for our kids and, and help them see the value of being able to connect. And that really is about the, you know, kind of what we set as parameters in our own households, how much we are texting while we're talking to our kids. Or, you <laughs> well, know. well, the good news is he has to borrow my phone to text and is with me most there of the time. Go. So we, we have <laughs> eight-year-olds and cell phones are not going to live together <laughs> in my house. <laughs> but but it, it is interesting that that's what he's excited about. One of the uh, happiness triggers that you, you talk about that I found really interesting was um, that smiling and yes. playing as happiness triggers. And, and this is something that in our modern society just doesn't quite seem as, as common. Do you, th- you think we may have lost the ability to actually play as adults? Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. This is one of the areas where we can see differences between men and women. Um, we just talked about connection. So as women, we tend to bond face to face, right? We like to sit down, chat. Yeah. Um, men, tend to bond side by side. So you think about boys playing, wrestling, video games, you know, men playing basketball or golf or whatever the case might be. Um, Men tend to be very good at using their leisure time for play. And and there's even research that backs this up. When women get more leisure time, we just find more stuff to check off of our to-do list, Um, whereas men are more (laughs) likely to use it to just do things they enjoy. And so I think it's something that as women we can really learn um, to do better um, because play helps us to relax. And you really can't, if you're playing, you really can't multitask and play at the same time. So, you know, I think, and one of the things I talk about is the, uh, the value of play is that you don't have to be good at something to do it. Find something that you just love, that you just enjoy doing, whether it's painting or maybe you like to, you know, I love to play tennis. I'm horrible at tennis. (laughs) Um, 
so I only play with other bad tennis players because <laughs> I just I want to run around, try to hit the ball, but I'm not that serious about it. And you know what, Deborah? We all need something that we don't have to perform at a high level. Um, you know, we all need something that we do purely because it's fun, purely because we enjoy it, because there are plenty of things that we do need to be good at. Um, and having something that you don't have to be good at can be very, very powerful in helping you to relax and simply enjoy your life and to boost your positive emotion. So one of the questions that I have as a type A personality, which it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, is <laughs> how, how, do you, um, how do you overcome the guilt of spending that time that you could be spending with your kids or you could be spending at the office playing. All of our emotions tell us something, right? Especially the negative emotions. And so guilt tells us that we think we're doing something wrong. And so stepping back and asking yourself, is it wrong for me to play, for me to have that time for me to just do something I love? And the answer is no. Now, if all you were doing was playing and you were neglecting your kids, that would, that would be different. <laughs> but I know that's not what you're saying. Yeah. So being able to to be ready when you begin to fill that guilt with your answer, which is, this is actually a good thing. This actually makes me a better worker, a better mom, a better spouse, a better partner, um, a better friend. When I have those moments of downtime, we actually are more productive when we incorporate play um, into our everyday activities because it allows our brains to kind of have a rest. There is so much more from this book that that I, you know, that we could share and we could talk about, but the reality is we're, we're out of time and you've been fantastic. <laughs> but I do want to know, where can we find more information about what you're talking about and, and receive updates from you? I would love for you to go to happywomantest.com because you can find out what your top happiness triggers are, as well as what I call your power triggers. Those are the ones that are on the bottom, but if you know what they are, they have the greatest ability to boost your happiness. And they can find everything at ValerieBurton.com, including the happiness trigger test info on the book. And the book is available everywhere. So whether they get it on our website or they go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any bookstore, they should be able to find it there. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on Live Happy Now today. Um, the book is Happy Women Live Better, and I hope that uh, many of you check it out and uh, go to ValerieBurton.com. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. For more information on Valerie Burton and to take a free happiness assessment test, you can visit LiveHappyNow.com. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the program here today. We would love to hear from you if there's anything you took away from this particular episode or if there's something you'd like to hear in a future episode, reach out. Find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, on Instagram by searching MyLiveHappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For Valerie Burton and Deborah Heiss, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you, and remember to always live happy.